voice is a little scratchy. It hasn't been doing much yet today. <coughs> is it okay there, Nicole? Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you for the song. So, uh, it's wonderful to be here, really. Um, yeah, so in preparing for the retreat, um, once again, I asked Gina to invite any questions that people had or subjects that were very alive in their practice. And uh, two questions that I received are very uh, helpful and concrete. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So um, I think I might just make some notes on the on the white paper. questions was how to be still and heal amidst fear and anxiety that are coming up in relation to several friends having serious illnesses from which they won't recover. And another one was um, how the Eightfold Path applies to our everyday life. Ty would really like these questions. They're very concrete. He said, whenever we study the Dharma, we always have to ask, how does this apply to my, my real everyday life? So just a little bit about the Eightfold Path. Last, last time I was here, we spoke some about the Four Noble Truths. This was the, the first teaching that the Buddha gave after his deep experience of looking, looking deeply into his own mind and heart and into the life all of us are living. That was his first Dharma talk. And 
And the one that traditionally we speak about first is that there is pain, there is unsatisfactoriness, there is discomfort in this human life, that there's no, there's no human life without some of that, sometimes more, sometimes less. And the second one is that there, is a, there are causes and conditions, or you could say a path, a pathway that leads to the manifestation of, of pain, of discomfort. And the third one is that, Thai likes to say it's the truth of happiness. Traditionally, it's called the cessation of pain or the cessation of suffering. It's the same as the manifestation of happiness. And Thai also taught that it could equally be the first truth because they all inter are. It can also say ill-being and well-being. And then the fourth one is the causes and conditions and the pathway that leads to the cessation of ill-being, to the manifestation of well-being. And this is the one that is then often formulated as the, the Noble Eightfold Path. That's one, um, one way that we talk about the pathway to happiness. I can still sit them on the sheet here. See, so these are the elements of the Eightfold Path. to tilt a little bit so everyone can see. I'll tilt it in just a moment. So <clears throat> I felt inclined to uh, first, if uh, excuse me, <clears throat> if you have been studying the Buddha Dharma for some time, you might look at these and say, "Oh, there's something missing," because usually 
classically when we talk about these, we put the word right in front. So we talk about right view, right thinking, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right diligence, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And Thai has also said that uh, we can also say the path to pain would be those same elements, but with wrong in front of them. And one thing, well, so for example, when we talk about view or right view, Thai and, and our practice can tell us that it may be actually the absence of views is the right view, because most or all of our views are limited and deceptive. They don't take in all the, uh, the fullness of, of what's there. So it means uh, right view is when we're not caught in the discriminative mind. And that's why I'm careful about using the word right and wrong. They're a good shorthand, but I think it's important to be clear that when we say right view, right thinking, right speech, Mm, it's not about making a moral kind of discrimination and uh, dividing, cutting and dividing things. It's just to emphasize the ones that lead to happiness, the ones that lead to the relief, the transformation of pain and suffering, and the ones we call wrong. And I will probably use those in shorthand now, but just so we remember that really what it's about is suffering or pain and the relief. So I like to I like to start with mindfulness because just in my own life, in my own daily life, as we're talking about this question, this is what helps me right mindfulness. The mindfulness is what helps me recognize in all the other elements is this thinking, is this speech, is this action leading me toward manifesting happiness and freedom, connection, toward interbeing. Uh, Thay says, the right view is the view of interbeing of all things. Or are these, the thinking or the speech or the action in front of me, is it leading toward separation and reinforcing the the illusion of a separate self that that is vulnerable and insecure and mortal. And about the right view, and especially in this question, the fear and anxiety for our friends and for our own experience in relation to our friends. About the view, I, I found myself remembering a story about Tai, and this was told by Tai's niece, An Hung. She's the, I think she considered the senior Dharma teacher, the senior lay Dharma teacher. I think she became a teacher in Tai's tradition at a very young age. She was a lay teacher, she still is, in the Washington, D.C. area where I came into this practice. So this was around. Um, around 99 or 2000, and she had just come back from the memorial for her uncle, one of Tai's brothers, and Anhung is the daughter of a different brother. 
and she talked about something that Ty shared with the family on this occasion, this occasion when the family was grieving and feeling deep, deep loss. And Ty said uh, that his brother was like a, a tea bag, that uh, he had this um, full essence and flavor and beauty and connection with all of the family. And he said that the family was like the hot water. And he said, for all these years, this tea bag and this hot water have been directly interacting in these forms, the forms that we're used to seeing. And all the essence in that time of interaction became the tea. The family became tea. And that now, all this, um, the essence of that relationship and of that, even that person and how we conceive of that person, how we relate with that person, their significance in our life, that it has already gone into the family. The tea is in the family. The family is the tea. And the person who has gone is like the leaves that um, most of the essence has already gone somewhere else. And we can also think of our teacher this way. He's still with us. He will always be with us. The form that he's in now is becoming very frail. We don't know how many more days that form will be here. But look at all of us. This is the tea. And we are, we get to drink this tea and share it with many other people, hopefully for many generations. And I can just say from my own experience, when my own father died in uh, 2000, um, <clears throat> 2003, since that time, I feel, yes, of course, I, I miss his form and the, the live speaking, but um, the relationship, I, I don't know if others of you can say this also, I'm guessing yes. The relationship is alive. Not only alive that it didn't stop being there, it didn't disappear, but it even continues to evolve. It's a living thing in me. Um, so that's the view that leads us to, to freedom and to seeing reality as it truly is and to release the, the limiting views that we can never really lose each other. That's a view. So now for the thinking. Um, you know, we probably, oh yeah, we have a sound of the bell. Thank you. So we know that our view directly influences our thinking. And I think, I think that we have hundreds or thousands of thoughts every day. In a minute, we can have a dozen or more, I think. And uh, Tara Brock, she likes to say, and probably 95% of them or more 
are the exact same thoughts you had yesterday. <laughs> and I will say, even two years ago. <laughs> so this can help us to loosen up the identification with our thinking. It's so easy to, to identify ourselves that our thinking is who we are. That's, that's me. That's what I think is, is me. Um, but if I'm having the same thoughts day after day, I don't know. It seems a little, um, I don't know, a little arbitrary to think that that's what I am. So these things connect directly with how we, how we practice with the fear and anxiety. So what I was saying about the loss and the tea bag, and then also the thoughts. So we may have many, many thoughts of fear and anxiety about how our friend might struggle and suffer and how we might feel pain witnessing that. We might have our own fear of losing something that we cherish. We think that it can die. So these are views and thinking that will go that will take us in the direction of pain and separation. For the speech, in our precepts, in our mindfulness trainings, we talk about truthful and loving speech. And I very much like this combination because sometimes in our thinking, we can believe that mm, the judgmental kinds of speaking, the critical, the discriminative kinds of thinking about ourselves, about other people, about the world, that that's what it means to be honest, that that's what it means to be truthful. So if we tell ourselves or another person, that was a dumb thing to say, uh, we think, well, I'm just being honest. And I'm not so sure about that. To me, What's really honest in that moment is the emotion. Not the judgment, but the emotion. So if I say that to myself, that was a dumb thing to say. For me, the most honest thing in that moment is that I'm feeling... I'm feeling upset, or I'm feeling worried about what I said, or I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling um, shame. And there can be this kind of looping that goes on outside of our, of our conscious mind between the emotions and the thinking and then the speaking. So to me, sometimes the most honest thing to say is, oh, I, I'm feeling really uncomfortable about what I just said. That for me feels more honest and more loving at the same time. So to be loving, it doesn't mean we have to cover over what's happening. In fact, it's we just say more deeply what's going on in, in driving the speech. For the action, I want to uh, come back to that a little bit after. <clears throat> in the livelihood, so how does, how does livelihood have to do with how we can be still and heal when fear and anxiety is coming up for us? It's pretty clear that livelihood applies to our daily life. But in, specifically in this case, we can notice how does our livelihood influence 
our view, our thinking, our speech to ourselves and others, if we are in an environment where, I mean, if it's a violent environment, like uh, a place where there's killing, it could be a slaughterhouse or um, on the front lines of some kind of violent conflict. We know that those being in contact with those things, we're going to be watering the seed of fear. It's very, very difficult to be in those situations and not be absorbing the fear and the anxiety, even the terror that's all around in those situations. But even in much more ordinary situations, if we're in a business that's very much about competing and the bottom line and squeezing every drop of productivity and um, you know, battling for the promotion, backstabbing and so on, these are going to also water the seed of anxiety and fear in us and those will carry over makes that seed stronger. You know, Thai gives us that, the drawing of, of the consciousness. Where the upper part of the, the circle is the mind consciousness, what we see in the conscious mind. And below is the store consciousness. And this is the where all the seeds of compassion, of anger, all the seeds that manifest in our mind, they live in the store consciousness. And all of these elements that we talk about, they will water one seed or another seed that comes up to sprout. And if we keep watering it, it will get stronger and it will send food to the seed and the seed gets bigger and more vigorous. If we call on the seed of mindfulness when the seed of pain comes, it can embrace the other seed and help it go back down a little bit weaker. And it's a, it's a practice we do over and over. So each time it gets a little bit weaker, or if we're not mindful, a little bit stronger, perhaps. So our livelihood brings water to different seeds. Diligence, I will also come back to, and concentration. So maybe, are we due for a sound? So on the level of action, this is so important. What action? When we are experiencing fear and anxiety, what action? What action? So for me, what comes is to take refuge in the three jewels. This is the action. This is not just a religious conversion declaration. It's a practice to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha is it's a practice, it's an action. And I have been taking refuge in the Sangha today. Uh, 
So to take refuge in the Buddha, it means our capacity to wake up, to to realize right view, to uh, to connect with the truth, the deep, deep truth of reality. This is our our Buddha nature that every one of us has. We all have the Buddha, the Buddha nature. And so in these moments, when the fear and anxiety are coming up, when we take refuge in the Buddha, it helps us to turn toward right view. It helps us to um, turn toward wisdom, toward finding wholesome kinds of support for ourselves, to help us cultivate right thinking in our situation, right speech, and the other elements. And diligence is also part of that. If we don't take refuge in our Buddha nature, we're probably taking refuge in something else. Numbing, battling, suppressing, fight, flight, freeze, maybe substances. Those are very popular. And nowadays, I would say the, what Tara Brock calls the handheld dopamine pump, it means our phone, to lose ourselves in in dispersion, to not feel our feelings. The Dharma, the teaching. So here, I think I will turn the page. On the Dharma, our teacher Tai, and for myself also, the, the sutra on the full awareness of breathing has been very important. Tai even spoke about a time in his life when he was quite depressed. Many of his friends in the working alongside him in the war had been killed, and villages had been bombed over and over, and it just seemed so overwhelming, and, and Tai felt depressed. And he somehow connected with the teaching in the Anapanasati Sutra, the Sutra on the Full Awareness of Breathing, <clears throat> and he felt like he felt like the luckiest person on earth. So I'll just note down here the first eight of the 16 exercises taught in the Sutra on the Full Awareness of Breathing, as Tai teaches it. So when we're breathing in, we know we're breathing in. When we're breathing out, we know an out-breath is happening. And then Tai likes to talk about following the whole body of the breath, the whole in-breath and the whole out-breath. And uh, sometimes he he will... uh, Say the mind follows the breath like this. He says it's not like an airplane that goes up and down. We want to stay close and follow the whole length of the in-breath, the whole length of the out-breath. And as much as we can right now, we can practice it right now. We don't have to wait.
We become aware of our body. We check in. We feel the sensations. <clears throat> this is the first of the four establishments of mindfulness in another sutra that's taught very, very basic, very foundationally in Plum Village by Thay. Aware, aware of the body, what's happening in the body. And this is very important with fear to... Uh, if we feel, for example, the breath is becoming shallow and rapid, can we be aware of the parts of our body that are more grounded? We can feel our feet, feel our legs, feel our seat and the stability and the support. This is important practice, sometimes called resourcing when we have strong fear, anxiety coming up. And this is also calming to the body. Just like uh, Tai says, with the, the mother who has the baby crying, or the father, the parent, picks up the baby and holds the baby. And even before the parent knows what is, what's upsetting the baby, the baby feels the attention and the care, the presence, the full presence of the parent. And they already feel some relief. So our body, when we just bring our attention back, bring our, our mind back that so loves to wander into the past and the future and the scenarios. What if? What should I do? What should I say? We pause and we come back and the body calms just because we're home again. We're there. And when we come home like that, if we're present, if we're mindful, we can sense some joy in the reunion of the mind and the body. Even when, even if there's awareness of a painful feeling, a painful feeling in the body and the mind, maybe at the same time, like the pain of fear. It can be a, have a physical, like something in our heart squeezing, and the mind is feeling the fear. Even when that's there, it's my, my experience that when I bring the mind back and feel the connection again between the body and the mind, there's something joyful, even in the presence to the pain. There's something alive, like coming back to life, not going off into uh, the notion, the realm of notion, and like I say, the proliferation, the rumination, just coming back to the feeling, it just it's like the joy of a hug, even when there's pain that's being embraced. And also the happiness, the contentment that comes from feeling our own commitment to be there for ourselves, and knowing that this makes us more able to be there skillfully for the ones around us who suffer. So the seventh is being aware of an unpleasant feeling, as I was just describing, and calming that feeling. We have an extra bell outside. Yes, go ahead, Gina.
So this is one example of the Dharma that helps us to be still and heal, even when there's the fear and anxiety. Mm. Some other examples that have been helpful to me are when Tai talks about the tree trunk, that uh, when we feel agitation, when we feel anxiety, it's like the tree in the storm. And if we put our attention into the, the upper branches, where the wind is really whipping around, the branches are snapping off, we can feel more and more whipped up and more and more vulnerable and more and more like we ourselves are going to snap off and blow away and go into a kind of annihilation almost. And so he encourages us to bring our attention, as I was saying also, with the feet, the legs, and Tai talks about the trunk of the tree in our abdomen. We can do that now. Just feeling the simple sensations of the breath and the stability, the solidity in the sitting posture, in the trunk here, the belly breathing. And then we don't identify with those frail, brittle places that are subject to the worst of the storm. We remember that we are also the trunk and even the roots. And even if many branches fall off, we will regenerate them. That's who we really are. We remember who we really are. In the When we talk about the Dharma, we know that there's the, the written Dharma, the books that can help us a lot. And very specifically, I recommend if we have this uh, situation of being close to loss, death, or severe illness, Tai's book, No Death, No Fear, is a wonderful, beautiful meditation of written dharma that can heal us and help us to actually deepen and uh, become stronger, more loving, more awake, more connected through these intense experiences. Of course, we have the spoken dharma. I've been had the great pleasure of listening to many of Thai's dharma talks in person, and all of us get to listen to them thanks to technology. So there's the technology that also helps us. I think maybe we should put technology on the eightfold path. Right technology, wrong technology. <laughs> I'm going to put a proposal. <laughs> and the living Dharma, and here in the day of mindfulness, we can practice. We practice this, uh, these eight elements right here in the in listening to the talk. And we have the practices that we can do these things in the practice that we do together of mindful sitting, feeling the trunk of the tree, feeling the feelings, mindful eating, taking in the nourishment and the food and appreciating the miracle of this food coming together from all these countless conditions. And it's healthy. It, it gives us a healthy and happy body and mind. It's not the food 
that gives us a sick feeling. <laughs> and sometimes we think it's one, but it turns out to be the other. <laughs> um, when we walk, when we walk, we print love on the earth and we feel the love. At the same time, we nourish ourselves. We nourish the earth and we nourish ourselves. And we nourish each other just by being in contact with other people walking like that. So these are all on this, uh, this realm of action, the actions that we choose, how we relate in those times of fear and anxiety, and how we make the Eightfold Path real, why it matters in our life. And sometimes it, the reaction might come up in us, well, I understand all that, but I just feel really scared and anxious. It's just hard. It's just hard. It's hard to be here. It's hard to sit. It's hard to not just want to watch Netflix or something. Like, how do I do it? That seems to be a big part of our challenge as practitioners to really, yeah, we can learn, we can know what helps us heal, and how do we do it? How, do, how to be still and heal when the, those things are pushing us, those storms, those winds are pushing us. And that's uh, the element of concentration. So the mindfulness is aware of what's there. And concentration, it's a word that sometimes we can think it means, maybe not even we're aware of it, but it, it sounds kind of like strain, you know, like grit your teeth and uh, so I just get an image of like sitting in school and feeling like we're under orders, you know, to not talk to our friend and just buckle down, you know, buckle down. But that's probably not what we would call the right concentration. The right concentration is being free to choose where we put our attention, where we put our energy, where we put our eyes what we listen to, what we take in, the, the kinds of food, um, all the different senses that take in. And what the, the sixth kind of food, the, the sixth organ is our own mind. What we say to ourselves in our own mind about our situation or about ourselves. So these are matters of concentration to choose the one that heals and nourishes us or the one that takes us farther away from ourselves and from compassion from connection, from healing. And that's where we take refuge in the Sangha. The Sangha makes it so much easier to have the concentration, to make the choice that heals us, to remember that we're not the separate self. We can feel that. It's not just a theory. It's a, it's a reality that we are a river. You know, and Tai says, it's not only that you cannot step in the same river twice, but you yourself are also a river. You are not the same person. And we, we are all streams flowing together as a river, and then we reach the ocean. We don't dry up like a drop of water. Just a couple things about concentration. Uh, there's the story... Uh, just in Zen, you know, they say you should practice like your hair is on fire. That's a concentration image. Or uh, the story about the the master, the student came to the master and said, you know, all this 
awareness of breathing. It's so boring. And so the master, um, we hope with right view and kindness, but gave the student a very powerful lesson of plunging the student's head into a bucket of water. And after the appropriate amount of time and the student came up spluttering and the master said, so is your breath interesting to you now? <laughs> and these are those times, so for me, like these times when the great fear, the anxiety is coming up, when we feel like we're, we're losing things that we've really um, identified as ourself or identified about our relationship, we're losing capabilities, um, maybe we're approaching our mortality. I don't know what else, where else I would want to turn than, than the three refuges and the, the Dharma, the Buddha, and the Sangha. I, for me, the, when I see the suffering and I feel the suffering, and it, I think most of us have tried different things. We've tried the numbing and the, the dispersion, and maybe it feels better for a little while, and then usually it feels worse for having done it, more alienated, more separate, more lonely, more afraid. So I guess it's partly um, trial and error, and eventually we find that this is the way that we want. And we know that the habits might still be there, and we smile to them when they manifest, and whenever we recognize, we come back and say, oh, okay, come back now, come back now. And the Sangha, the Sangha is the key to bringing us back home and where we can rest and feel, yes, of course, this is where I want to dwell. This is how I want to live. This is my healing. And we be still in the Sangha. We heal. When we sit alone at home, we also feel the Sangha with us. And then we know what's the next action. So I think I will pause and uh, conclude here and... Uh, Thank you so much, dear Sangha, for helping me to be able to share and for your listening. <laughs>